Let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. Love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. There was a woman traveler at an airport between flights, and she had some time to kill, so she bought a newspaper and a package of cookies and sat down to read her paper. After a little while, she became aware of a rustling noise near her. So out the corner of her eye, around the corner of the paper, she noticed this nicely dressed man seated nearby who was helping himself to her cookies. And she couldn't believe it, but she didn't want to make a scene, so she didn't say anything. But she reached out and took a cookie for herself. Then a few minutes later, there was more rustling. The man was taking another cookie. And her anger was rising, but she said nothing. A few minutes later, more rustling, as if to add insult to injury, this man took the last cookie, broke it in two, pushed one half toward her, took the other half himself, and got up and left. Well, she was uh, angry. And uh, she sat there for a while, and after about 10 minutes, her flight was announced. And still fuming, she reached into her handbag to get her boarding pass, and there discovered to her amazement and embarrassment her own unopened package of cookies. <laughs> what an example of the faulty judgments that you and I make so often. And so in our scripture lesson for today, Jesus is saying to us, don't be judgmental toward other people. Have you ever noticed how we're so much tougher on other people than we are on ourselves? When we see that another person is sort of set in his ways, we say, ah, oh, he's obstinate. But when we do it, ah, oh, that's firmness of character. When another person doesn't like your friends, he's prejudiced. But when you don't like his friends, you're just showing good judgment. When the other person tries to be accommodating, we say, oh, he's polishing the apple. That's what he's doing. But when we do it, we just use intact. When the other person takes his own good time to do things, especially driving, we say, he is dead slow. But when we do the same thing, we're just being deliberate and careful. When the other person picks out flaws in other people, we say, he's cranky. But when we do that, we're just using discernment. How strange that we're so much tougher on other people in judgment. Now, when we first read chapter 7, as was read to us a moment ago from Matthew's gospel, it seems that Jesus is saying contradictory things. On the one hand, he says, don't be judgmental toward other people. And yet, in the same chapter, he says, evaluate other people carefully. Seems to be a conflict, but there's not really, because Jesus is saying, don't be judgmental, be discerning. 
But then you say, preacher, where's the line between the two? I mean, how will I know if I've moved from being discerning to being judgmental? Let's see if the scripture here won't teach us. Notice verse 2. Jesus said, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That's sort of frightening. Jesus is saying, be careful. The standards you use to judge other people, God will use them on you. Now, let me tell you something. I don't want justice from God. I want mercy. And I think you feel the same way. At first glance, verse 3 is shocking. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And when Jesus said this, he was certainly smiling. Jesus had a great sense of humor. It comes out very often because he often uses hyperbole and exaggeration in order to make a point and also to cause his audience to chuckle. For example, he said, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. Well, he knew that would, that exaggeration would cause a chuckle. And all of us can imagine a speck of sawdust in our eye. We've had that to happen before, and the eye goes to watering trying to get rid of it. But nobody can imagine a two-by-four plank in somebody's eye. And Jesus knew when he said that, it would cause the audience to chuckle in order to get the point. Now, here is elsewhere in Jesus' teaching, there are two clear warnings about being judgmental. And the first one is never judge another person's eternal destiny. Never judge another person's eternal destiny. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus makes that even more clear when he says, do not condemn and you will not be condemned. St. Paul said something very similar when he wrote, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. In other words, God, not you, not me, God alone has the sole authority for determining somebody's eternal destiny, heaven or hell. Now, whereas we can reasonably conclude that a professing Christian is heaven-bound, yes, we must never conclude that this certain person is, has either gone or is going to hell. That is not our prerogative. Oh, yes, we can assume that a person outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ is at risk of going to hell. Yes, but only God can finalize that eternal destination. You know, we never know what goes on in a person's heart and mind in their final moments of life. Think about that thief who died on a cross beside Jesus. It was in, in his final moments of living that he came to faith and ended up in paradise. I cannot even say with assurance that Adolf Hitler is in hell. No. Those final judgments are strictly off limits for sinners like you and me. That's the prerogative of God and God alone. Here's the second warning about being judgmental. Don't be hypocritical in your judgments. Don't be hypocritical in your judgments. Never judge another person by a standard that you are violating. It's so obvious. I mean, Jesus' toughest criticisms were reserved for the religious leaders of his day. And what was their main fault? Hypocrisy. 
Jesus said, in fact, do what they say, but, but don't copy their actions because they're a bunch of hypocrites. Jesus said, be on your guard against the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One sign of our sinfulness is that we get some kind of perverse pleasure from watching moral failures of well-known people, especially politicians and preachers, especially if it involves money or sex. And sometimes uh, we judge them in order to make ourselves feel superior. And do you suppose that any of the loud critics ever padded their expense accounts dishonestly? Wonder if their income tax forms are 100% accurate and honest. Now, in regard to sexual failings, Jesus said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And former President Jimmy Carter indicted himself in regard to that standard. And I doubt that there are many honest adults who would claim to be totally innocent on this score. A recent survey conducted over the past five years revealed a startling statistic. 68% of men in churches of America view pornography with some regularity. Wow. None of those men has the right to criticize or judge any politician or preacher. Now, here in the Bible Belt, people are often critical of homosexual activities. I didn't say orientation. I said activities, actions. Indeed, Scripture is critical of those actions. Our own book of discipline in the United Methodist Church describes such activity as incompatible with Christian teaching. But in this same Bible Belt, surveys show that a majority of heterosexual couples are sexually active before marriage. That, too, is a sin, according to the Bible. And I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says homosexual sin is worse than heterosexual sin. The main point here is that before judging another person, we ought to be mighty careful that we aren't violating the same standard. Otherwise, Jesus might charge us using the same term he, libel, he leveled at the uh, Pharisees. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right, now that we have those two warnings about being judgmental, let's turn to the other side. Let's consider what it means to be a discerning Christian. In verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. Well, you can't spot a false prophet if you're not discerning. By their fruit, you will recognize them, Jesus said. St. Paul added, test everything. Hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. And St. Paul gave these orders to the Corinthian church. He said, you are to discipline every church member who, and I quote, is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, 
End of quote. Well, in order to exercise that discipline, you must be discerning. Here are three guidelines to help us be more discerning Christians. First, a person's deeds are more important than their words. Words are cheap. Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus also added, every good tree bears good fruit. And he could have added, pay attention to the fruit, not the leaves. Do you remember that Jesus was once very critical of a fig tree that had a whole bunch of leaves but no fruit? Pay attention to the deeds, not the words. A Dr. Bill Bennett, who was once Secretary of Education, I told him an incident that happened when he was on the faculty at the University of Wisconsin. Some professors there were holding a seminar on advanced ethics, how to determine right from wrong. And during a break in the seminar, they discovered a broken soft drink machine and raided it for 20 cans of soda. And Dr. Bennett said, look, what you're doing is wrong. The delivery man may have to make up that shortfall out of his own pocket. The professors were not impressed a bit. They went right back to their seminar on how to choose right from wrong. But their actions had so far undercut their words that their words meant nothing. Jesus said, pay attention to the fruit of the tree not the words. Actions are more important than words. Here's the second guideline for discerning Christians. Make sure your standards are scriptural. Make sure your standards are scriptural. Some people take the Bible and try to make it conform to their lifestyle. But the Christian should take the Bible and make his or her lifestyle conform to it. Jesus said, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but, but this word, my word, will never pass away. Even though the Supreme Court has come up with its own novel definition of marriage, God invented the institution of marriage and defined it in this book, and his definition takes priority. The preacher David Stanley, often on television, has said, some want to rewrite the Bible as God would have written it if he had known as much as we do. That deserves to be repeated. Some want to rewrite the Bible as God would have written it if he had known as much as we do. What arrogance. Oh, I was so blessed moments ago when Jack and Sam gave us that magnificent song and they were making this very point. Order my steps in your word. Don't order my steps according to the political polls. Don't order my steps according to the culture. Order my steps according to your word. Now, if you hear a TV preacher, even of a very, very large church, tell you that success and wealth are guaranteed to you if you're a Christian. Don't you believe it? The Bible doesn't say that. Discerning Christians know their Bible. And the Bible says it's hard for rich people to get into heaven. 
And Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. The Bible does not promise that Christians will necessarily be rich or even seen as successful by the world. No. He did say they would have to carry crosses and sacrifice for him. And if any preacher or professor tries to persuade you that certain parts of the Bible are outdated or obsolete or in need of revision, be discerning enough to know you're listening to a false prophet. Discerning Christians know that this book is our anchor. As we in the Methodist church say in the book of discipline, it is the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Third guideline for discerning Christians, be guided by the law of love. In verse 12, Jesus said, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. And Jesus also said there was one test. If, if you want to know who's my disciple, he said, by this, all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Christian love always strives to do and say what is truly best for another person, not necessarily what he or she wants or asks for. Christi the Christian always seeks what is in the best interest of another person, never asking does he or she deserve it. When I was a rookie preacher, there was another Methodist preacher who had a serious moral failing, and it was, it was very, very painful on his congregation. And indeed, he had to surrender his uh, ministerial credentials because of it. And later, I was talking to my father, a Methodist preacher, about that incident. And I said, Papa, what that man did is so awful, no punishment is severe enough. They ought to throw the book at him because not just the damage he did to himself and to his family, but what he did to a congregation. Throw the book at him. Papa, who was much older and wiser, he said, son, when you get down on your knees tonight to say your prayers, thank God that you were not tempted as that man was. Papa was applying the law of love, remembering that all of us are sinners, forgiven sinners, saved by grace. So, in conclusion, it's time for the test now. little review. Jesus gave us two warnings about being judgmental, and I want you to say those out loud with me, okay? The first one. Never judge another person's eternal destiny. And the second one, don't be hypocritical in your judgments. And then we have three guidelines for discerning Christians. And say those out loud with me. First, a person's deeds are more important than their words. Second, make sure your standards are scriptural. And third, be guided by the law of love. Let me close with one of my favorite stories about children. There was a little boy who was trying to sell six little puppies. Now, these were not purebred puppies. Uh, the mother was, the mother dog was, as we say, all-American dog. And the father dog was a great mystery. 
He was totally unknown. The little boy put up a sign in his front yard, puppies for sale, $2 each. Several days went by. He wasn't able to sell a single puppy. Only one man stopped by to take a look. Four or five days later, that same man was driving by, and he saw that there was a new sign in the yard. It said, puppies for sale, $10 each. Well, that got his attention, the increase in price. So he was curious. So he stopped, asked the little boy about it. Why has the price gone up? The little fellow held up one of the cuddly puppies, and he said, their eyes are open now, so they're new and improved. <laughs> now, that kid has a future in the advertising business. <laughs> the puppy story has a spiritual application. When Jesus Christ gets control of our hearts, he opens our eyes. And indeed, we are new and improved. In the process, he gives us a Christ-like vision of other people. And we become less judgmental and more discerning. And to God be the glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.